Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Fundamentals Podcast. My name is Jack, and I'm joined, as always, by the soon-to-be Reverend Jeff Tucker. Jeff, it's good to see you, man. How are you doing today? Doing great. It's a nice chilly day in St. Louis. I've been inside all day. Have no plans to go outside. <laughs> well, that's good. We have we have a tornado watch going on here in uh, Fort Myers, wow. and we actually had uh, school off on Monday because of the storm. Thankfully, no damage. Nothing really came in, but just out of an abundance of precaution. Uh, so we had what I call the Florida snow day uh, on Monday. Mm. So it's yeah. been a little bit of an interesting week. Uh, but I'm excited to get back into the book of Daniel here, which is really cool. And in Daniel 2, and you can give a better recap, but I liked in Daniel 2 was all about Nebuchadnezzar's dream and his pursuit to understand what his dream meant. Uh, we saw how seriously he took it uh, and how all the people that were with the false gods were like, we have no ability to actually come through. Our gods can't come through. Uh, and yet Daniel stepped up and his God provided the way for him, which gets me to think about this. By any chance, Jeff, have you had any uh, funny dreams recently we need to interpret? No. What about you, Jack? <laughs> well, my, this happened not that long ago. Uh, I was having a little dream and I was in it and I can't remember all the circumstances, but at one point I had a stack of papers that I ended up dropping. So all these papers go everywhere and I start to pick up all these little things. It was really tedious and I couldn't believe I dropped so much. And then I had a moment where I realized I'm dreaming. I don't, he don't have to pick this up at all. And I just woke myself up, got out of the dream, got out of that work. So I have no hmm. idea what the application is for that, but I was pretty thrilled in the moment to not have to pick up after myself in my own dream. Uh, good times. I think that I think that means don't waste your time doing things that don't matter. Yeah, exactly. That's my I think, interpretation. Hey, I like that, and that's something we can all all learn from. Uh, but I think we can learn even more uh, from the Book of Daniel than we can from my nonsense dream. So let's get to the important stuff. Yeah. So let's do this. Daniel chapter three. Uh, verse one. And again, we read the ESV translation here if you'd like to read along with us. So verse one, King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60, uh, 60 cubits and its breadth was six cubits. He set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Yeah, so hopefully when you hear image of gold or you read image of gold, you number one, think of idolatry and God's command against idolatry, uh, going all the way back to Exodus, but you should also probably think about Daniel 2, right? And we mm -hmm. had Nebuchadnezzar's vision, and in that vision, it was an image with a golden head representing Nebuchadnezzar and in, in his empire, and uh, that was uh, showing kind of the absolute monarchy that he had. But then it was a, a variety of elements that consisted of the lower half of the statue, and then what happens to it? It gets crushed by mm -hmm. this rock that was cleft by no human hand, and it uh, kind of sets up the, it's a messianic vision of the kingdom to come as opposed to these earthly powers, these earthly kingdoms. So that's where your brain should be going. Uh, so Nebuchadnezzar, after having this vision, and we don't totally know how long after this, after the vision, this mm -hmm. uh, image he made came into existence. So it's impossible to say the tie between chapter two and three, but to me, it seems like Nebuchadnezzar is reacting against this vision and its interpretation, even though he had that reaction to Daniel when he interpreted it. And we get this statue that's about 90 feet high and nine feet wide. And if you go to what's considered Dura today, you see kind of a, uh, 
kind of plateau, but it's a little hill that has like a platform that would fit mm. a statue that is about this size. So it's, it's kind of interesting how the history still kind of uh, testifies to what happened in that part of the world. Yeah. So, yeah. So the image is, it doesn't really say what the image is. It just says an image of gold. I, I would imagine that it is probably something approximating the image of Nebuchadnezzar or it's, uh, you know, Babylonian symbolism of some kind, something that would, and we'll see later on in the chapter, kind of reflects back on Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, well, who wouldn't want a 90-foot statue of themselves? You know, what a practical right. thing to want. And I think he said something really cool there. Where he, is this as a response or is this him kind of going against? Because he had that big moment when he realized Daniel's God was for real. Like Daniel's God actually enabled him to do something that everybody else said was impossible uh, and was impossible without God's help. And so he has this big realization, and yet you see him kind of going against it in the next chapter. We don't know the time length, and obviously – creating a statue of that size would take time, would take effort. It's not immediately put it up and there it is. Uh, but that's kind of crazy. We can, I, I just kind of make those connections because sometimes we have those moments where we just connect to God. We see his love in action and we're awestruck by it. But then yet you look a day, a two, a week, a, a month or a year down the road. And then suddenly we've kind of maybe forgotten that and have shifted the focus back on something else entirely. Uh, and it's, um, I think that's kind of what Nebuchadnezzar got in here. They, the all left him and then he's back to his old ways. Yeah. I think people are, are prone to having these kinds of crisis and then to make big proclamations and, and swear oaths and vows before God and, and have these radical thoughts to change everything about their life and to repent and, and God understands that we constantly need to repent. It's not, we don't, we don't have the luxury of fixing ourselves overnight. It's usually a process of God uh, inviting us to repentance and, and slowly our heart starts to change. Uh, and then, so this is all happening in Dura uh, and it's just a little south east of Babylon, which is the capital city. And I guess the idea is as people approach this capital city, they'll see this gigantic statue just towering above yeah, so you can't you can't ignore it uh, right so here we'll go through the next chunk of verses here two through seven uh then king nebuchadnezzar sent to gather the satraps the prefects and the governors the counselors the treasurers the justices the magistrates and all the officials of the provinces to come to the dedication of the image that king nebuchadnezzar had set up then the satraps, the prefects, and the governors, the counselors, the treasurers, the justices, the magistrates, and all the officials of the provinces gathered for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And they stood before the image that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. And then the herald proclaimed out loud, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, and languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning fiery furnace. Therefore, as soon as all the people heard the sounds of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, all the peoples, nations, and languages fell down and worshiped the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Yeah, so verse six is what we in the biz call uh, foreshadowing, <laughs> this image of a burning, fiery furnace. 
Uh, so, and, and there's some strange words sprinkled in there. Uh, said traps were just essentially ambassadors or officials, all of these things that are listed. You got said traps, the prefects, the governors, counselors, treasurers, justices, magistrates, they're all just ambassadors or officials that served in the stead and by the command of their king. And they, they were kind of uh, representative of the central monarch, which is Nebuchadnezzar, but they kind of ruled over the different provinces of uh, the kingdom of Babylon. So Nebuchadnezzar is gathering anyone who is anyone to this uh, statue. And he's saying, when you hear the music, you better fall down and you better worship. And it's, it's really kind of a test of loyalty and it's a mm -hmm. uh, test of, um, are they going to bend to the will of their king or are they willing to be thrown into a burning fire <laughs> furnace? So that, I, I mean, it, worshiping this image, which is a representative of the kingdom and, and, and Nebuchadnezzar's rule is a very specific kind of idolatry. And to me, it's, it's pretty prevalent for mm. our conversations today. It's a perversion of the rule of governing authorities and powers and principalities. Uh, all of those things, the Bible tells us, are put in place by God. Mm -hmm. And sometimes what happens is we have this unholy mixing of religion and political figures where a politician becomes a salvific figure. Mm -hmm. And that is totally unbiblical. Uh, there is one messianic king. There is one messiah. There is one chosen one from uh, before the world began, and that's Jesus Christ. And no politician should ever be an object of your worship. Uh, mm -hmm. You can you can respect your politicians. I would even go so far as to say you shouldn't adore your politicians. You should have one king that you adore above all the kings and kingdoms of this world. And so I think America especially has an idolatry problem, uh, especially in our politics. We And we talked about this last week as well. And it's interesting on the back end of what was the election week last week, you get two kind of reactions based on uh, the results of the election. People saying this was uh, a fraudulent election. This was uh, a hoax. It, it was a perversion of the democratic process. And then there are people saying, no, this was done rightly. You know, we counted all the votes. We, we went through the due process. And, and both of them are, are struggling with this idea that any one political figure is going to save them from all of these problems. Truth is, we have problems in this country. Doesn't matter who's the president, we still have to address those problems. So uh, we have a democratic process in place. I think we have to respect the results of the election after we go through this next period of contesting the election, contesting the results. But we have to take a step back and we have to say, no matter who gets elected, this is not our king, this is not our hope. This country, America, is not our hope. Our hope is in the kingdom that has come in Jesus and is to come when he comes back to take us home. Mm -hmm. Well said. Uh, and it, it's so important because, I mean, even putting it in a, in a simplistic way, like if we were to make the wrong thing our hope, like in this moment, say for whatever reason, I actually made this 90-foot this image my hope uh, and my trust is in this image, what can that actually do for me? I mean, on a good day, maybe it can block some rain for me if I can hide underneath it, maybe give me yeah. a little shade. Like outside of that, it, it can't do anything for me when I'm, and I'm placing things upon it that it cannot do, even if it wanted to, even if it claims it can do those things. Right. Yep.
So let's continue here in, in Daniel. We'll do the next little chunk, 8 through 12 here. Therefore, at that time, certain Chaldeans came forward and maliciously accused the Jews. They declared to King Nebuchadnezzar, O king, live forever. You, O king, have made a decree that every man who hears the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music shall fall down and worship the golden image. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall be cast into a burning fiery furnace. There are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Dadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Yeah, so you think back to uh, chapter 2 again, what happens at the end when Daniel is kind of uh, exalted for his ability to interpret this dream and, and Nebuchadnezzar uh, falls down on his knees in front of Daniel. Daniel requests that uh, uh, his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, would be promoted to a higher office. And so you get this kind of begrudging nature coming from these Chaldeans, and they want to undermine the Jews that are in their midst, these, these men that have been appointed to higher offices. They want to take those positions from them. And so they appeal to uh, Nebuchadnezzar's ego. They say they do not <laughs> serve your gods or worship the gold image. And that's going to be uh, convincing language for Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah. I mean, and, they, and they're going directly. They're saying you have set up a decree. You said this would be so and they are going directly against you. Like they know the language to use to make it undeniable in that moment and you like you see it's that it's that selfish desire is what's actually getting them out there they're they're not caring about this god they're not caring for their king it's this selfish desire to claim power for their own and i mean it goes contrary to what i mean we see again with with the gospel we look at like matthew 18 when we see our brother sinning we we go to them and we try to in loving ways instruct correct and help them here's the opposite let me go tell on them so they get in trouble and i gain from their loss uh, I mean, it, it's, it's a yeah. powerful strategy, I suppose, but not necessarily one we should follow. It is. Well, and, I, and it kind of goes to show you the nature of the life that we are being called to live as Christians is that when we act differently, it will stick out. Mm -hmm. And uh, we may get called out for it. We may be persecuted for the way we act, but we are called to, to live above the ways of the world. And that's not an easy calling. And a lot of times it does lead to persecution. I think we are kind of uh, insulated from that in America a lot of times, but that, but things are starting to change. Mm -hmm. And the way we live and conduct ourselves is considered kind of weird and foreign and antiquated to the rest of the world. And, and that's what's happening in Daniel. And that's kind of what's I imagine will happen the farther along we get in the world today is that mm. the way we live is really going to be a strange thing to the people around us. And so we can expect that we will be ostracized for the way we live. Yeah. And I think it's helpful mm. to have that expectation to, to be ready for it and not to be shocked. Uh, and, you know, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego here, they're not saying, Hey, every woman, look at me. I'm trying to do different. I'm trying like, uh, they're not calling attention to themselves. They are living faithfully to their God. And yep. through that, people notice it. And that's the important part. We're not trying to get undue attention, but through faithfully living for our God, people will notice. Yeah, and it, and it will be important in a few verses. We see that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego don't attack their attackers. They don't lash out against those people that have issue with the way they live and conduct themselves or what they believe in. They uh, simply do what they've been called to do, and then they accept that they are being persecuted for it. I think Christians could... could uh, 
serve to learn from their example. Yeah. So let's take a peek at it. I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar is an even keeled level, you know, calm guy. They have a nice conversation, talk it out. Let's see. So 13 through, uh, we'll do 15 here. Uh, so then Nebuchadnezzar in a furious rage commanded that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be brought. So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar answered and said to them, is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I've set up? Now, if you are ready, when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, to fall down and worship the image that I've made, well and good. But if you do not worship, you shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting to me that Nebuchadnezzar starts his conversation with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego with uh, a genuine question. Is it true? Uh, they've been accused, and, and still Nebuchadnezzar has enough respect for these men, uh, for their abilities, for what they've demonstrated in the past that he asks them. Is it true? Kind of throwing them a line saying, hey, look, like, this is your chance. You can refute these things right now and you don't have to get burned alive. Or if you say no, then you're going to get thrown into a fiery furnace. So I, I always think it's interesting when I read back to Daniel 3 that Nebuchadnezzar appeals to these men by asking them a question, basically giving them a chance to save their own skin. Uh, and then ultimately you know, we'll see here that they, they don't kind of take the bait. Yeah. I mean, he makes it as direct as possible. In case in his mind is like, maybe they didn't hear, they didn't see the giant statue or it was a mistake. They lost track of time. No, he's like straight up. You are in front of the King right now. And again, it says he's furious. He's, he's asking this question, but obviously he is serious about what he's talking about. He said, well, and good. If you'll follow me now, we'll, we'll, we'll forget this ever happened. And you can just continue right. to fall in line as you should. And again, you think about that intimidation, like one, it's one thing to hear like a law or a rule from somebody else and be like, Oh man, if I don't do this, but to actually have that authority in front of you, who is coming at you and saying this, you have five seconds to think about it when this happens. Yeah, or you're man. immediately getting thrown into another. Yeah. Well, and that's, and you know, for Nebuchadnezzar, that is sort of the, the trap of ego. The, the trap that pride gets you in. Mm. Even if he liked these men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, he has spoken so uh, strictly. He has exalted himself and his own way of thinking about himself so high that he's in a place now where even if he likes these men, even if they do a good job, he can't lose face because of his pride. He can't mm. lose face before these men that ultimately serve him. So his pride has enslaved him to uh, the difficulty of having to kill three very competent good men. And I just, so I think it's so interesting that his pride has gotten him in, into trouble with these really good, excellent, talented men that we saw in Daniel one, he was impressed by. And then in mm -hmm. Daniel two, he was impressed by their comrade. And so he exalted all of them to these high positions and powers, but he's so hell bent by his own pride that he finds himself in a position where he's trapped. Yeah, and that pride, I mean, removes any chance for grace. Uh, and again, you just compare that to our God and how he humbled himself uh, and how he was willing to come down and do all these kind of things that no king, no God would, would do. Uh, but because of our God's great love and his power and his humility in those moments uh, is ultimately to his glory. 
And here in this scene, this is not to Nebuchadnezzar's glory. He's trying to protect his, save his face, as you mentioned there, but yeah. uh, it, it ultimately is not to his glory what happens here. And he has that taunt there at the end. And who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? Like you, again, just the previous chapter, it's their God that allowed yeah. Daniel to do the impossible thing that no other God, no other person could even try. They wouldn't even attempt to do it. <laughs> yeah, it's so it's so strange to read this narrative like this and, and not have a clear indication of the time that's passed and to see such a, a flip in Nebuchadnezzar's mindset towards the God of Israel, Yahweh, and to forget everything he had just learned to us just one chapter ago, but I'm sure an, enough time has passed that I guess he forgets these things. Yeah, and he, I mean, he, we all have different style days. We have different things that tug on our heartstrings. Like for some aspects of my life, it's really easy to trust God say with, with my money, but you, you want me to trust God with my relationships or various things. Like we, we hold on to different stuff than we do. And, and uh, so some things can be easier or harder. And the first moment, like he was in need of help. And so God was able to come in and help him here. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't need help. And I mean, he needs help. We know he needs Jesus, but like he doesn't think he needs help. And so he's not looking for it. And so quickly, um, kind of cuts it out and even taunts. Yeah. So here we go. Their, their response, one of the best, one of my favorite passages in scripture, 16 through uh, 18 here. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will del deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. Yeah, a bold answer for Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, we have no need to answer you, is what they say in response to him. And then they say, our God, so it's not about them. Again, they're flipping it back towards their God, and they're, they're, uh, they're making sure the priority is understood. Our God who is able... And that's an interesting word, not our God who will, our God who is totally capable of saving us, is totally capable of delivering us, uh, can do this thing. But if not, and again, that's another interesting phrase, even if he doesn't, we're still going to be loyal to this God because of everything, because of all the ways he's been faithful to us before. So, you know what, Nebuchadnezzar? You can kill us if you want. We have a God who's totally able to deliver us even from a fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't choose to do that today, we'll still die being faithful to the God we serve. So really, really a, a crazy, you think about that, them standing before their own death, giving this answer, essentially they're about to become martyrs. And, and we see throughout the history of martyrs, these, these men and women that still, proclaim the name of Jesus Christ, even as they are facing certain death. That's happening here in Daniel. They are, they are worshiping the one true God, even at the very real threat of death. And we'll see in just a second, Nebuchadnezzar is going to throw him into the fire. Yeah. And, and I, and I love here, like, I mean, the eloquence, even it's, it's simple and direct the way that they convey their message. They're not begging. They're not boasting They're They, like you said, they turn it on to God and we serve <clears throat> him. He is capable and, and that I love that he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. 
because ultimately whether they lived or died in that furnace that God was going to take care of them he is our deliverance there that we have and, and we know for all of us that prayer of of life and enjoying that next new day here on earth no matter what at some point that prayer is not going to be answered with yes you're going to live on this earth uh, eventually it'll be answered with you're going to join me uh, in heaven so we know that that prayer will be answered someday so whether we're delivered by uh, surviving this furnace or not, God is capable of delivering, and, and they they know and think bigger than just the obstacle in front of them. Yeah, it makes me think of uh, Matthew 10. Jesus says, uh, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, uh, but cannot kill the soul. Mm. Instead, fear the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So yeah. uh, again, I, I've said this before, and I'll keep saying it. The worst, the absolute worst possible enemy you can have in this life or in any life is God, right? If God's against you, you got no hope at all. But if God's for you, then it doesn't matter what other enemies you have because Mm -hmm. of this idea that, yeah, your body can be destroyed, but there's something beyond this life that awaits those that have faith in Christ. Absolutely. Uh, and here, I want, I want to speak on a second, and this may be me to going, to, going to step beyond, but seeing, I lo- I've always loved this imagery of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being there together before the king, having the three of them united. They've been through so many things together. And I mean, you can go to Ecclesiastes and you think about the court of three strands is not easily broken. And, and I think that there's, there's strength in that fellowship that these men shared, uh, where they got to stand together knowing what they're going to face. Uh, and, and not blink as they were going through this together. And I've always compared it to uh, Peter uh, and his denial where he is isolated uh, in that moment and, and where he is basically confronted with not quite a burning fiery furnace, but almost certain death if he would have claimed to be with Jesus uh, and him in those moments uh, denied three times. And yet you see these guys here who have a chance to deny and save their lives yet boldly proclaim their faith in God and refuse under any circumstance to change that. Yep, that's a good point. The importance of Christian community mm-hmm. and having kind of a accountability in mm-hmm. this Christian life. Yeah. And so continuing here, uh, his response, Nebuchadnezzar, 19 through 23. So then Nebuchadnezzar was filled with fury and the expressions of his face was changed against Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace heated seven times more than it usually heated. And he ordered some of the mighty men of his army to bind Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and to cast them into their burning fiery furnace. And these men were bound in their cloaks, their tunics, their hats, and their other garments. And they were thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Because the king's order was urgent and the furnace overheated, the flame of the fire killed those men who took up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And these three men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, fell bound into the burning fiery furnace. Yeah, so we'll see, we've seen before and we'll see again, Nebuchadnezzar has a a little bit of a rage problem. And so he heats up this furnace to seven times the normal amount. That is, that's got to be pretty hot if it kills a guy that throws the other guys (laughs) into the furnace. And it's kind of interesting that they bound them in their coats and their cloaks and their tunics. And I I don't know if that's kindling. I don't know why they were bound. I don't know if it was, if they were bound in the sense that they weren't able to move or to try to escape or to push against the door. I don't know what that's about. To me, I just think of like kindling, which sounds <laughs> terrible, but I don't know if you need it when it's that hot. Uh, but there, so he throws them in 
and he uses these mighty men and those mighty men die. And then we see Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are in this furnace, this extremely hot furnace, and they've got no hope because they're bound up and there's no chance that they can escape this on their own. Yeah, they they are <laughs> they had they are now powerless with how they've been struck. And I mean, you see Nebuchadnezzar here, his rage, his unrighteous rage and anger here. Like, what did it actually? Again, we're not even to the miracle part of this yet. But look at what his rage just accomplished here. So he heated it up unnecessarily, so hot that he lost. It said ordered some of the mighty men of his army. Like these are his followers, his people, some of his strongest, most devout people. He hurt his own, even killed his own just out of his rage. Obviously, that wouldn't be his intention, but uh, clearly by his actions, he wasn't concerned or caring at all about any of those kind of things. And I mean, it's kind of dramatic to have to bind them, as you mentioned, in kindling and bind them. I mean, they're being thrown into a furnace. How much more do you need to lock them down and <laughs> take it away? But uh, it, it's just it, that rage kind of blinds. And Yeah, rage is, is a blinding. It, it's a, uh, it's really kind of, Rage is an intoxicating thing. You can become uh, drunk with power and drunk with rage where you, where you feel so self-righteous in your rage. You feel so vindicated in your rage that you do things without thinking. And, and uh, Nebuchadnezzar turns the fire up way too hot that he ends up killing men that were totally innocent mm-hmm. in this system <laughs> of wrongdoing, right? Yeah, absolutely. And, I, I, and this even going back now, reread verse 19 to myself, you, you hit on this earlier about how he, was furious, but really wanted to give them a lifeline. Like here in 19, where it says it, it's the expression of his face changed. So the expression probably was something of that, that hopeful of like, hey, just bow down to this thing and we can forget this ever happened. Like that's what he wanted. And then once that clicked in with that very direct curt response, uh, just changed his whole face, whole attitude. Like it just uh, yeah. craziness. So uh, continuing here, verses 24 and 25. So they just been thrown into the furnace. Then King Nebuchadnezzar was astonished and rose up in haste. He declared to, the, to his counselors, did we not cast three men bound into the fire? They answered and said to the king, true, O king. He answered and said, but I see four men unbound walking in the midst of the fire and they are not hurt. And the appearance of the fourth is like a son of the gods. Yeah, so this is, uh, this is pretty cool. Um, so there, I, I believe in the Septuagint, uh, it talks about the men in the fire singing, singing praises to God. Um, but we see Nebuchadnezzar here uh, react because he looks into this fire and he doesn't see just Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sees this other man who is in the form uh, that looks like a son of the gods, is how <clears throat> the Hebrew literally puts it. And this is what uh, and there's a phrase for this in theology called Christophany. There's theophany, which means an appearance of God in the Old Testament. Uh, and it's usually tied, manifested in like some kind of physical thing. So one example of theophany would be the, the burning bush, right? So God is, is present and, and visible in a way that you don't see his true form, but you see God uh, physically represented by something and he speaks from the bush. So that, that's theophany. This is Christophany. And this is, this is, we're led to believe, this is literally the pre-incarnate form of Jesus Christ standing in this fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And of course, that is a, a Christian rendering of this tale, right? So I don't, I, I'm sure, I'm certain that um, if you asked a, uh, you know, a traditional Jewish person, 
what they thought was in the fire with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're not going to say Jesus Christ. But we, on the other side of the cross and the revelation of Jesus Christ, have come to know and believe that Jesus himself, the pre-incarnate Jesus, is standing with these men in the fiery furnace. This is the true son of God, true son of man, standing in the furnace with these men. Mm -hmm. So Christophany and Theophany, those are your two phrases of the day. Yeah. Try to use them in a sentence with some of your coworkers today. See how it comes up. Yeah. But, right. it, but it is good to know. And, and we see how God, again, reveals himself to us. And it's awesome to, to be reminded that Christ is, is not only in the New Testament, but he is, uh, he is God. He's, he's been there. He was in the beginning. He's before the beginning and all that, that, that he makes himself uh, appear here. And uh, you just see the disbelief, the astonish, the awe that Nebuchadnezzar has when he sees his God act, uh, when you see the God act, uh, and the foreman uh, unbound, like just Jesus, is so cool. I just love it. see them. They're unbound, so they and in the midst yeah. of the fire, and they're walking, like they're kind of you know going for a stroll here in the in the furnace. Like how kind of crazy you, you see all the imagery of Nebuchadnezzar doing every single thing he can to intimidate, to hurt, to harm. And it was the furnace that was enough to kill men. Like it killed the men that threw them in there. So this isn't some sort of fake fire. This is a real deal. And yet with Jesus there, they are walking in the fire. Yeah. And you could pull that to a metaphorical place, right? We all have these fiery furnaces of life that we deal with and, it's good to know that Jesus enters into the fire with us, right? That's the kind of the beauty of the incarnation to begin with is that God entered into our mess. He entered into the death that would have awaited all of us. And he rose from it unbound, uh, unchained by death, totally free and raised himself back up to life. And so through Jesus, we are unbound by death. We are unbound by the fiery furnace of death and of the devil and of, of the powers of death. And so we have freedom in Jesus Christ, just as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did. Yeah, absolutely. So what do you think it was, was like to be in the furnace there with uh, Jesus popping in? Do you think it was hot? Yeah, was I don't like know. a comfortable sauna? And you're like, oh, can yeah, you stay here I a bit? <laughs> I, I thought about that the other day. Are they still experiencing like the feeling of heat? Is the fire something they can like feel and, and tangibly <laughs> mess with? Or is it just like nothing's happening for them? There's fire all around them, but it's just a, a visual stimuli. Whereas everyone else is experiencing the fire, they're just kind of chilling. Yeah, it, it it just goes to just kind of goes to show. It's kind of one of those funny questions getting to work with youth that that's what they come away with and all this kind of stuff. But it's interesting to think about it. And these men did get to experience, uh, and we know that God is capable of even much more than what He did there. Uh, so it's it's just kind of fun to to think about and how crazy it would be that I mean I don't know what the setup for the furnace was like but for Nebuchadnezzar to actually be able to see in and see these guys walking around and see the fourth and how he was able to clearly pick pick them out of it uh, is is just a, a really cool uh, I mean hopefully eye opening <laughs> experience yeah well yeah well, hang tight we'll see. Uh, so let's do it. Let's let's talk about what happened here with 26 to the end of the chapter. Uh, so then Nebuchadnezzar came near to the door of the burning fiery furnace. He declared Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out and come here. Then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego came out from the fire. And the satraps, the prefects, the governors, and the king's counselors gathered together and saw that the fire had not had any power over the bodies of these men. The hair of their heads was not singed, their cloaks were not harmed, 
and no smell of fire had come upon them. Nebuchadnezzar yeah, stop right there. So uh, it's, it, it's interesting, the proclamation that Nebuchadnezzar makes, servants of the most high God. And he is making that after trying to kill these men, and he's making it in the presence of the most high God, if Jesus is in that fiery mm-hmm. furnace with them. So it's, it's a little bit of irony there. And it says uh, the, the fire had no, and I'm trying to think how the Hebrew puts it, I, I can't remember, but it had no power over them. And it, what I think is just kind of a funny little note is that if you've ever spent any time fire, <laughs> your clothes are immediately It still smells. <laughs> it still smells. You got to wash them thoroughly to get that smell out of it. And this is saying that furnace, even with those men who had just died in the fire, and we can imagine that maybe their hair was singed or their, or their bodies got a little bit burnt up. Imagine that smell around them. And that's totally removed from these three men. So, and Jack and I have a funny story that we won't tell here about. <laughs> he accidentally lit my beard on fire. I can distinctly remember that smell and the terrible smell of it. But this is saying that the, the power of the fire had no cling on them at all. Yeah, and I just think it's a, a beautiful way that God, uh, I mean, showed his power. Where, I mean, he's going to leave no stone unturned instead of like i'm going to show it all it's not like oh man i forgot about their clothes they're going to reek but at least like they're alive or they barely escape with their lives and now they need medical attention it's like if you didn't witness it you would not believe that they were in that fire there's there's no physical evidence of it even think about when jesus repaired the the ear uh, on the guy where it's like there's no physical evidence that like he got attacked like he just that that kind of power is 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 only uh something that god can do yeah, and it's funny that uh, Nebuchadnezzar answers his own question from verse 15, That's right? true, yeah. Who's this God who will deliver you? And then he says, uh, the most God high most one. high, right? Should have remembered <laughs> him. Jeez. The actual God is the one who will deliver you. Oh, man, amazing. All right, so yeah, they had no smell of fire had come upon them. Uh, so then Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him and set aside the king's command and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I make a decree, any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their house is laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. This is a wild reversal. So he goes from making a decree that anyone who defies his God will burn in a furnace. And then he changes course immediately after this and says anyone that defies Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God uh, is going to get torn limb from limb. So this guy, Nebuchadnezzar, does not <clears throat> operate with moderation. It's always uh, strong <laughs> well, reactions to everything. Well, do you think he lost I, faith in the burning furnace avail, uh, ability to kill his enemies? Right. right. <laughs> you think he ordered a new furnace after that? <laughs> Got on the phone immediately. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to uh, return a furnace. It's faulty. The fire doesn't work. Yeah, I don't know. That's funny. <laughs> Yeah, you sold me a bad furnace. <laughs> Things did not get as hot as you promised. Um, uh... Yeah, so, and then, I, you know, I think of this idea of yielding your body, and I think of what it means to be the body of Christ, and I think of what it means to offer your body as a living sacrifice. 
and you think about this idea that Jesus Christ is the head of the body, right? And so the, the head directs the movement of the whole body and, and the movement of Christ's body is to take on a body, number one, to humble himself from eternity and to take on humanity and then to suffer in the body and to die in the body for us. So honestly, our expectation is that we will suffer just as Christ suffered. That That's the kind of the, the brutal calling of every Christian is that we can and should expect suffering because no servant is greater than his master, Jesus tells us. So as we move forward in life and in a constantly changing world and a constantly changing political ecosystem, my encouragement to you is, uh, it's not encouraging to say that you should expect suffering in this life, <laughs> but my encouragement is to say that you have a God who suffers alongside of you. And not only that, you have a God that delivers you out of your suffering. So expect suffering, but expect um, that just as Christ was glorified in his suffering and raised up to the right hand of the Father, so we too will be raised up in glory with him. Yeah, and, and you think too with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, while they were spared the physical suffering of that furnace, uh, thankfully, I mean, that's an emotional toll at the very least to be bound, to be thrown in this, and trusting in their God, absolutely, they trusted him wholeheartedly, but that doesn't mean they didn't experience any sort of fear uh, or trauma from this. But because yeah. of their faithfulness and they trusted in God for the results, not only were they blessed in their, their connection with God, um, but Nebuchadnezzar and others got to see the hands of God. So God will even use our suffering in those troubled times, not only to bless and protect us, but will use it for the betterment of other people around us. Yeah, very true. And uh, I, it probably doesn't need to be said here, but at the end, uh, I do think uh, it's important to note that God doesn't need us to tear his enemies limb from limb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can handle yeah, his enemies. I, I, wonder if, I wonder if Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were like, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> you know, we don't need that. How, how about anybody that speaks against it has to hear this story? <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Maybe we don't kill everybody. <laughs> hey, but he's got one move. If you don't tell me my dream, you're going to die. If you don't bow yeah. worship, you die. <laughs> yeah, he, he's got, yeah, he's got a one calling card. Death. It, it kind of reminds me of that guy from uh, Parks and Recreation. Remember he comes to visit from a foreign country and he's like, uh, Oh yeah, Venezuela. I think it is the, you vote, you go to jail. If you don't vote, you go to jail. You count votes, believe it or not, you go to jail. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, pretty much. That's that's Nebuchadnezzar here. <laughs> one thing, one result. So thankfully we don't worship a king that operates like Nebuchadnezzar does. Yep. Oh gosh. Well, this has been a, a fantastic chapter to go through. Uh Jeff, any uh, last thoughts you want to wrap us up with here? Nope. Uh have a good week. I'm excited to get into Daniel 4 and to kind of keep pushing through this book. Uh, hopefully the chapters, I'm trying to remember if the chapters get a little shorter, but uh, we've had some two pretty long chapters back to back. Yeah, well, this one would be half as long if they didn't repeat every single thing in it. Yeah. <laughs> he asked for all these people to come here, and this person, was, this person, this person did come the here. the name of every single person that came here. Yeah. That's all right. It helps me with my uh, sight reading, so it's good. Uh, and I just want to give a quick shout out to my sister, Andrea. I love you. Thank you for listening to this. Hopefully after I tell you to listen to it for the shout out, happy birthday. 
excited to see you when that next opportunity comes. But thank you all for uh, joining us here in Daniel chapter three. Uh, we'll be back with Daniel four next time. But until then, God bless, and uh, we will talk to you soon. <laughs>